right. Hey there, everybody. So glad to be with you. This is Louis Ezekiel, your host, and we are on Keeping Carlson Short Shifts. This is your season three premiere, and we're bringing you a little bit different of a setup here this year. Uh, Elon is joining me here today, uh, and he will be doing some of our shows during the week. Uh, Ben will be continuing his interview series on Saturdays. Uh, So Elon has stepped up to help out with some of the uh, midweek shows, and we're really looking forward to bringing you a ton of outstanding content all throughout the year. Elon, how's it going? Hey, Lewis. So excited to be here. Uh, last season, I jumped in for a couple short shifts episodes for people like completely new to our podcast feed recently. Like it used to be back in the olden days, Brian and I would just do our Sunday show and that would be it. Then a couple years ago, we brought in Ben and Lewis to do these midweek short shifts shows because there's always some news during the week that we need to get caught up on so that we don't want you to miss out. And by Sunday, it's already too late to pick up the hottest free agents or to drop the dead weight. Uh, and so now for this season, like Lewis said, I'm going to be jumping in to do some of the short shifts episodes Ben and Lewis will be doing. We're going to be bringing you content all season long on Sundays and during the week. So just make sure you're subscribed to Keeping Carlson and you'll get everything. But yeah, I'm going to have to get used to this, Lewis. You're an expert at doing these short half-hour shows. I'm used to doing two-hour shows. So I'm going to need you to steer the ship here and make sure that I don't go too long. Yeah, bud, you're going to have to keep pace here because we move quick. It's all about agility during the midweek shows. You know, on the Sunday shows, we're just trying to get all the information we can and that huge mega download. But during the week, you know, who needs to be picked up, who's on a hot streak, who is widely available and has new deployment. That is what Short Shifts is all about uh, to help you, you know, win your days throughout the course of the middle of the week. And uh, we've bringing you some breaking news here today to start our show. Uh, we've got something from Vancouver. Elon, you want to tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, just as we were, you know, Lewis and I were talking last night, like, what should we talk about on the show today? We were like, let's each pick three topics that we'll bring up. Uh, since then, like, three more topics have come up that we just had to bring up. First of all, of course, just the latest breaking news. We're recording this Thursday night. Uh, looks like Vancouver has finally signed their two big RFAs. Uh, Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes both signed. Apparently, Quinn Hughes, six years, 7.75 million. Patterson, three years, 8 million per year. I'm not sure if this is officially official, but uh, that's the latest. So it looks like we'll be ready to go. Anyone who drafted these guys and we're a little bit nervous about are they going to make it in time for the season to start don't you worry about it they'll be there soon now we just got to watch game day lines and see who's going to be playing with who right like uh, so far in preseason i don't know how much to read into this like jt miller has been centering a line and bo horvat's been centering another line and miller's been playing with garland and pod colson so i don't know if that sticks and then like besser and Pedersen play with horvat but that doesn't make any sense right so probably jt miller now goes on the wing for either horvat or Elias Pedersen. so we got to watch and see now I'll be very interested to see how these lines shake out. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm sure the the Pod Colson fans uh, would love to see him, you know, stick around with a quality center. But yeah, definitely watch those game day lines because things are definitely going to change here in Vancouver. And certainly, you know, a lot of the worry overblown. Jim Benning did his job here eventually. So a little bit of the heat off him. And uh, yeah, we are looking forward to seeing Vancouver hopefully put together a, a pretty competitive season here after last year. You know, things did not go the way that they planned. Yeah, on the podcast, Brian's been all telling me how he doesn't think Vancouver's that good. We had that big debate about Thatcher Demko, and I was thinking, I think that it's going to be pretty good for him. And I think that Vancouver's going to be a decent team. You know, they got OEL, they've got Garland. Uh, now we just have to see how it all comes together. And I'm not saying that like OEL and Garland are like saviors here, but I think they're like slight improvements to a team that already should have been better than they were last year. Obviously, last year, I consider that a right off anyways with all the COVID stuff. Uh, So yeah, I'm really excited to see what the Canucks do now that they've got all of their pieces in place. Yeah, I think just getting out there for a standard, relatively uninterrupted uh, 
season is going to be a big step in the right direction uh, for getting things figured out in Vancouver. Uh, another team that struggled last year uh, had some bad news here today. I'm talking, of course, about the update on Jakub Verana, uh, who is going to receive shoulder surgery and is out for a minimum of four months. Uh, ben and I are debating about this a little bit. I look at this as being a big blow to Detroit overall. Uh, ben is less concerned, so I think we'll we'll hear from his uh, we'll hear from his point of view. I'm sure here shortly, or you could check uh, at Short Shifts KK, and I'm sure he'd be more than happy to share his views. But you know, I see this as the kind of injury that kind of hurts everyone. Uh, Zadina maybe will step into that top line role. Uh, he seems most likely to take those minutes, but I think this really is a downgrade for everyone else, especially Larkin, uh, who is seen as a nice bargain at the draft table. But I would look at him pretty skeptically until Verona gets back, and it looks like it might not be until after the Olympic break. You know, Zadina certainly has potential, uh, but he hasn't lived up to very much of it in the NHL so far. His best season uh, was two years ago when he topped out at about a half point a game in 28 games, and he only was able to do that with a 13.3% shooting percentage, which is more than twice what he's been able to manage across the other 58 games of his pro career. With a little bit more time, maybe he can raise his shots from their very steady to a game that he's had uh, during all three of his seasons, but I don't see him as coming especially close to replacing Verona in the short term. The one positive I could take out of this is if you are still drafting, Verona makes for a very interesting grab and stash. Uh, if you have enough IR flexibility to hold on to him until later in the season, because certainly when he gets back, if he's fully healthy, I really... You know, people were excited about him. I think there's a lot of appeal to Verona in Detroit. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely look at Zadina as being a downgrade here and am pretty worried about Larkin's value. I picked him up in a couple spots because I finally thought it was a safe year to pick up Red Wings and actually cheer for my team. But, uh, alas, always wrong on that count. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Dylan Larkin last year obviously had that terrible year by his standards. Only 23 points in 44 games. It's like a 43-point pace. On Dom Lucision's projections spreadsheet, he had him around 53, 54 points, which is still like not what we'd be hoping from Larkin. He was much better than that before last season. I guess Dom was kind of hedging there. And now I wonder if you have to go back down to maybe closer to a 50-point pace. I, I disagree with Ben. I think this cannot be good for Larkin. Also not good for like a Pew Suter. You know, that second line on Detroit. Now if Zadina goes up, who's Suter going to be playing with? I guess maybe like... It would would be kind of cool if Raymond Lucas Raymond gets to now make the team and get a shot so it might be good for the youngsters but I think this is mainly just good for Detroit having a better chance at tanking and getting a first overall pick next year they have tough competition with Arizona and Buffalo but uh yeah not great too bad I was excited to see what Verona can do I guess we'll find out in the second half of the season hopefully he'll come back at 100 percent yeah, if we're looking for some silver lining, it does seem like uh, Bobby Ryan is likely to make the team now. Uh, we may see some of Lucas Raymond, which I think uh, Red Wings fans are pretty exciting about instead of just having him play in Grand Rapids. Uh, so some things to keep their eyes on. But yeah, overall, I think this is uh, not great for you know anyone on that power play, for your Red Wings goalies, uh, and for Larkin especially. Maybe a little bump up for Zadina in terms of giving him an opportunity if you've got him in a dynasty league, but I don't know if that's someone that I would be interested in drafting. Uh, someone maybe I would be interested in picking up at the end of a draft here is someone that you wanted to talk about, Elon. Our most recent hat trick of the preseason, right? 
Yeah, so I think I'd rather at this point take a swing on Michael Bunting than Philip Zadina. Uh, who knows? Obviously, this is like really early in training camp. So like basically, that's the caveat for everything we talk about before the season starts. You don't want to read too much into it. But Bunting scored a hat trick for the Leafs, uh, took four shots on Wednesday. It was against like the B team, Ottawa Senators, and Toronto was also kind of playing a B team. Uh, the Leafs practiced today without Bunting. And so there was Nick Ritchie on a line with Matthews and Marner and Mikhaev on a line with Tavares and Nylander. Though I did uh, read an article by Jonas Siegel on The Athletic. And he was saying that we've gotten hints of what Sheldon Keefe may be thinking from the Lions front. Plans can change, but for now, the Leafs coach seems intent on giving Richie first shot with Matthews when he's healthy and Marner and bunting the first go around with Tavares and Nylander. So if that holds, I think this bunting guy is worth a look at the end of your drafts. Like, could be the kind of thing where you draft him, you don't even keep him through training camp. But if he's going to be playing with Tavares, or hey, if he gets up with Marner and Matthews, this is a guy who had 13 points in 21 games with Arizona last year as a 25-year-old rookie. So he's already shown some hints of being good. Here's a fun thing. John Tavares had an interview and he said that he thought that Michael Bunting reminds him of Matt Molson. So I don't know if uh, many of you remember him in the early days of Kevin Carlson. We were talking about Matt Molson. He scored, I think, 30, 35. I think there was even a 40 goal season for Matt Molson playing alongside John Tavares. So, I mean, I don't know what that's worth in terms of reliability of saying that, you know, if Tavares says a line mate's going to be good, does that make it so? I don't know. But I think that obviously it means he wants to play with Bunting because he had so much success with Molson back in the day. So, yeah, he's a guy who at this point like Lewis call me crazy but like I we're, we drafted in a league just recently and I took Kyle Palmieri who we're going to talk about soon in the last round and he's obviously someone that I, if I had to bet you know I would expect Palmieri to have more points than Bunting at the end of the year just based on the odds but I think Bunting is a more exciting choice so I decided to just drop Palmieri and pick up Bunting because I want to have a streaming spot at the end of my roster anyways and Palmieri I felt was the worst player on my team so I'm taking a shot on Bunting curious to see if I'll be holding him up to the first game of the season the Leafs play by the way on Wednesday if you really want to think ahead the Leafs play on the Wednesday in the first week of the season and a lot of other teams don't start till Thursday so you could always add Bunting now get his Wednesday game to start the year then drop him for someone else if you really want to game it to that level yeah if you're gonna turn that last spot there's no reason to grab someone that you're thinking oh well he's gonna have more points at the end of the season like that's not what you're really thinking about you're trying to get someone with you know some short-term bang and i i like the idea you know playing with Tavares and nylander instead of uh matthews and marner is not that huge of a downgrade uh, it's pretty nice setup if bunting can get it you know we were worried about him a little bit uh deciding to come on over and try his luck in this all out knockdown drag out brawl for these couple spots that are available in uh, the Leafs lineup. But it seems like he has done pretty well for himself. Uh, and also, you know, speaking of Keefe, we just got news also that Keefe was extended for a couple years. So uh, if Bunting is a guy that Keefe likes, uh, maybe, you know, he's got a chance with, uh, with Keefe sticking around for at least another couple seasons. You brought up Paul Mary. Uh, and if we're thinking about talking about coach speak here, uh, we also had Barry Trotz come out and talk about Palmieri and Wallstrom, which has been a hot topic of debate, which of these guys is going to get that first shot on line one. Trotz said that he's going to start Palmieri on line one and Wallstrom on line three. Uh, and I give that a little more weight than just putting the lines together for the preseason. Both players are widely available. Palmieri only 13% rostered on Yahoo and 15% for Wallstrom. 
Um, but we also know that Trotz sounds like he's going to give both guys a shot on that top line. Does that make you more interested in Wallstrom? Does it make you want to grab Palmieri? Does it want you to stay away from both of them? How do you approach this when the coach is saying that both guys are going to get a shot, but this guy's getting the first one? Right, yeah. So, I mean, I think of last year, Jordan Eberle played on the top line with Barzal and Lee for most of the year until Lee got injured. And he was, like, pretty decent, right? So I would expect if Palmieri is there, he'll probably do similar to what Eberle did. Like, Palmieri hasn't been jumping off the score sheet like he used to in New Jersey a few years ago. So I'm not especially excited about him, but he would be, like, a really solid guy there. I do wonder how that top line fits together. I feel like Anders Lee and Kyle Palmieri sort of play a similar game, while Oliver Wallstrom... Yeah, I don't know. He's younger, like more of a sniper. I mean, I'm not like a big, you know, like watch the game kind of guy. But I get the sense that Wallstrom might be the more exciting guy with the more upside if he does get that spot. And then Paul Mary could be on a PPP line on the third line with Peugeot and Parise. So uh, obviously, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. I think that you got Paul Mary as your steady as she goes player. If he's on the top line, he'll be decent. But I think if you want to take a swing, you grab Wallstrom and hope that he gets the job. Of course, the fun thing is that second line, no one even talks about that. I guess that's pretty sad. Brock Nelson, Beauvillier, and Bailey, the BBB line (laughs) so they just like to uh, get that alliteration all set up before the season starts uh you know those guys are kind of getting forgotten right like nelson and beauvillier seem like guys that could be decent next year but uh, i think the biggest swing you can take obviously aside from barzal and lee who are the first islanders forwards you take i feel like wallstrom is the one i'm most excited about that you get like in the last round of your draft and who knows yeah, Wallstrom's your ceiling guy. Paul Mary's your floor guy, I think. And, you know, you mentioned that second line. I think I'd rather have Nelson over Paul Mary just because I know where he fits into the team and he, you know, is a steady, useful contributor. So he might be the more, to me, the more interesting. Uh, kind of steady floor guy as opposed to Paul Mary possibly here and I should add as well Ben has always been a big Paul Mary fan but even he is out on him for this season so uh, yeah I think that that is uh, someone that maybe uh, maybe you stay away from if Wallstrom is more of that home run hit let's talk about a team that has let us down in the past but you know is always is always kind of interesting because there's a lot of opportunity over in San Jose uh, you've got some guys that you, you've been bitten by before, but you're just coming back for more, Elon. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know if it's like I so we just recently draft this uh, keeper league that you're in as well, Lewis. And my co-manager is John Reed, a big Sharks fan. So I don't know, he's gotten into my ear. And all of a sudden, I don't know, I'm getting kind of excited about the Sharks again this year. Like specifically, I'm looking at Brent Burns right now. He's fallen to an ADP of 74th overall in a couple drafts. That's our Keeping Carlson Alta Patron Fantasy League. It was only three seasons ago that Brent Burns was like a top five person in fantasy, right? Like he was over a point per game, like over 300 shots as a defenseman. And so yeah, he's fallen fallen off over the last couple of seasons. That's why his draft spot has fallen so much. But I wonder if we should give him some slack. Like, again, just like with the Canucks, like last year was a weird season. And I just, you know, again, I don't want to read too much into preseason, but he just had a preseason game versus the Kings where he took seven shots on goal. That's the Brent Burns that I like to see. He even scored one of those goals. So I don't know. He pays for 42 points last season, averaging only 2.5 shots per game. Uh, that was his first time being below three shots per game since he broke out back in like 2013-14 when he became a superstar in the league. So I just wonder if people are counting Burns out a bit too much and he's like a safe guy you can get in drafts that maybe still has that upside to be you know not as big not point per game but maybe he could get back to being like a 50 55 point guy with all those shots so yeah he's someone that's on my radar and then i'll throw out another couple sharks at you just since i'm already looking at the sharks i might as well pay attention and if you recall last year around this time we were talking about this fellow named john leonard who is getting a top line shot and we were all wondering like what's good do you think this guy's going to be worth drafting what if he sticks with couture and meyer is that going to be something and obviously he disappointed but let's do it again there's new players now that are interesting 
Podcast. Uh, so currently, a guy named Jonathan Dallin, who's a 23-year-old 2016 second-round pick. He was traded to the Sharks uh, for a couple Tier 5 division namesake Linus Carlson a year ago. So Dallin has been practicing on a line with Couture and Meyer. He assisted on a Timo Meyer goal in that game versus the Kings, that preseason game. Uh, he had 71 points in 45 games in Sweden last year, so he's definitely not a nobody. I think this Jonathan Dallin, if he sticks on line one, he could maybe be the next John Leonard or hopefully like the version of him that's actually successful and sticks with the team and sticks on that top line and does well. And then just since I'm rambling anyways, let me throw in a couple other names at you really quickly. Uh, William Eklund, the guy who was drafted seventh overall in this recent draft. He had a two-assist game recently, another one assist in another preseason game. So he's making a case for himself to maybe stick with the team, especially with Evander Kane potentially not going to start the year. That's like potentially an open spot that Eklund could take. I don't know if he could crack the top six, though, I mean, he's competing with, again, Jonathan Dallin, maybe like Alex Barabanov. Like you would think if Eklund can make the team and he's doing well, maybe not only he makes the team, but he cracks the top six. So he's definitely someone to watch. Barabanov, by the way, seven points in nine games last year after getting traded to the Sharks. Uh, so that's how he ended his year. So there's like a few guys on the Sharks that kind of interest me. And I just wanted to throw those names out there. Like, don't forget about the Sharks. Brent Burns, I think, in the high end. And then Dolan and Eklund, people to watch if you want to uh, really take a deep swing. Yeah. And, you know, Barabanov, he had his success during, you know, not the preseason, but during the real season. And I think the Sharks did really like what they saw from him. Obviously, they liked him enough to, to go out and, uh, you know, deal for him here. So that's a name that I'm really interested in. He may be a bit of a roadblock to Eklund. I feel like Victor somewhere is is very unhappy with me saying that. But, you know, this guy is is new to the league, and I think he will take some adjustment. I think it's very exciting, obviously, that he's coming out here and being super successful. But I wonder what his ceiling can truly be on this team, especially if you know, he's not going to be trusted to be out there for first line minutes. I think, you know, uh, I, I retweeted because Victor was saying he was going to call his shot that Eklund was going to force himself onto this team with his play. And I think that is very exciting. Um, but I don't know that it necessarily is going to be something for this season where it's going to be, you know, the kind of thing that uh, results in in huge numbers for, for Eklund himself. Yeah, by the way, Victor is uh, Victor Nuno from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast. If you're into prospects, that's the podcast to listen to. You know, Lewis and I, Brian and Ben, we try our best with the prospect talk. But, uh, you know, uh, Victor's been talking about William Eklund ever since he got drafted. I think he's been saying to draft him first in any new dynasty league that's drafting players from 2021. Uh, Let me mention one more shark, just to really, like, put myself at risk of looking dumb at the end of the season. But uh, Timo Meyer, let's not forget about him, right? Like, this, he still hasn't had a season of getting over 50% of the team's power play time. Now with Evander Kane, again, if he's going to be out of the lineup, that opens up a spot. That's the spot that we thought Meyer would get originally when Joe Pavelski left. So maybe now with Pavelski and Evander Kane gone, maybe now Meyer finally can get that top power play time. And like that could... potentially be a decent top power player couture hurdle LeBanc, meyer then either burns or carlson come on and like meyer by the way he's only 24 years old it feels like he's been in the league forever we've been talking about him forever but uh, he had a really good year back in 2018-19 he had 30 goals and 66 points these last couple of years he's fallen off a little bit and then a little bit more the last year everyone fell off for the sharks except for i guess a tomas hurdle who had a good year but yeah i think that timo meyer is also someone that i'm potentially like putting up my draft list a little higher now that like I think about the preseason and like I think he'll do a lot better than he did last year I don't know if he gets back to that 66 point pace but I think it's definitely possible if he gets that power play time 
Yeah, it feels like he's been around for so long because his introduction to us was so uh, so successful. You know, everyone and their mother was talking about Timo Meyer after he busted onto the scene uh, with his great success. But yeah, it's been certainly more challenging since then. But yeah, maybe with a little bit more opportunity. I think that's a. I think that you're right that the Sharks overall are are having their draft stock depressed because people are just not super excited about them and they haven't shown very much. I do wonder. You know, certainly if you're in plus minus leagues, which you shouldn't be. But, you know, I think they're going to be chasing from behind a fair amount. We'll see if uh, their new goalie tandem is going to be able to do anything for them. Yeah, obviously, they've had not a ton of success in that uh, in that area. But they did manage to get Martin Jones uh, sent over to Philly. So at least they're not worrying about him anymore. Uh, all right, let's move away from the West Coast and head back east a little bit and talk about some Habs. So we've got... Hoffman injured. He was certainly looking to be the kind of guy who was going to put together something on that top power play, give them, you know, a real trigger man there. And a lot of people were excited. I went out and grabbed him in that keeper league draft that we've been talking about right before or right after actually we find out that he was going to be out for a bit. But I'm hoping that he'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you know, if you're looking to grab someone off the waiver wire or pick someone up in a late round in your draft, I wonder if Josh Anderson or Jonathan Drouin could be interesting possibilities with Hoffman injured to start the year. Uh, we did see a power play deployment with Anderson, Druin, and Dvorak that had a couple power play goals, but it was far from a full roster, and the lines just looked really bizarre, so I would not read too much into that. But it does look like that trio and Tafoli suzuki Caulfield seem to be the top two lines with Hoffman out. Uh, and just taking a stab here, what the power play might look like. I think maybe Toffoli, uh, Suzuki, Caulfield, and Josh Anderson with Jeff Petrie uh, as the power play QB might be how it looks uh, to start the season. Um, you know, we've seen some success for Anderson uh, out there on the power play in the limited time that he's had. I think he is the nicer option here just because he has that solid floor of shots and hits. You know, he's the kind of guy who can get around 200 of each potentially. Um, you know, even if he doesn't enjoy that power play one exposure in Hoffman's absence. So if I was just taking a guess, that's the guy I grab because even if he misses out on the power play time, he's still going to give you something. Uh, I see him as the best option for that power play time, but I would not count on anything until we see uh, that true power play one deployed either of these guys any interest for you drew ann or anderson uh well i'm definitely more interested in josh anderson just because of that floor of peripherals like you said jonathan drew ann yes who came out he was uh suffering from what was it like anxiety and uh, insomnia and that's the reason why i missed all that time last year so hopefully he's back to 100 percent. but i don't know it's been a while since he's been impressive enough in fantasy to be more than just like a streamer every now and then uh, i'm kind of interested in christian dvorak i gotta say he's the second line center he's the one that we know is going to be there when hoffman comes back someone gets bumped anderson or drew down to the third line or hoffman like we don't know but we know that christian dvorak will be there and could be like a solid center that gets you i think like 50 55 ish points so it depends if it's worthwhile to you in your league obviously you're gonna want to get in on that top line for the halves before anyone else though uh, i guess like josh anderson like you said pretty good if you're in a multi-category league uh all right so let's talk about some more lines i've got two uh new top liners that i want to throw at you that i'm pretty interested in and these are things that i was not expecting going into the seasons these are new names that we need to like readjust for assuming they're still there like within 
in the time that people are listening to the show or in a week or so. But starting in Minnesota, it's been Joel Erickson X centering the top line of Kaprizov and Zuccarello, uh, at least in practice. Uh, Kaprizov hasn't gotten into a preseason game yet. Uh, but so Joel Erickson X, J-E-E, he had a 44-point pace last year, mainly playing with Marcus Foligno and Jordan Greenway. He had over 100 hits. So just like Josh Anderson, he's already good for those peripherals. But I'd imagine he could be a really good sneaky pick late in your drafts, especially if he's going to be playing with Kaprizov in a bangers league, I think you could do a lot worse than taking a swing on Joel Erickson Eck. Like we were thinking like just like a couple of weeks ago that like Marco Rossi, like it's so obvious that he's going to be the top line center. Like it seems like such a perfect fit for him, but I don't know. He's been playing, Rossi's been playing with like Boldy and Greenway on the line in training camp. So again, like obviously they're trying things out and we'll have to see what uh, coach Evison wants to do over in Minnesota. But if Joel Erickson Eck sticks on the top line, he becomes very interesting to me and definitely someone I wouldn't leave undrafted in my leagues. And if it's in a bangers league, you maybe even take him in a mid round. Yeah, you know, I I think that we're still going to see Rossi eventually ascend to that spot, Uh, you know, maybe not sooner rather than later. Um, But sometime this season, I bet once he gets his comfort level up, you know, this was a guy who was seen as very much ready to go in the NHL last season. So, you know, and also I think Erickson is a little more capable of playing sort of a a shutdown role potentially. So I think think that eventually if if Rossi progresses the way we sort of hope that he does we'll see him up on that top line but in the short term certainly Erickson Eck is quite interesting and for as long as he can hold it as you say solid floor and you know anytime you're up next to Kaprizov and Zuccarello had so much success uh, in some very hot streaks last season I could see that as being really appealing and someone who is widely available uh, yeah so they take a stab on him certainly uh, just be ready you know listen to short shifts watch those game day lines uh and see what happens with that that battle but at least there are finally some you know potentially productive centers uh to work with uh, on the wild because we definitely did not have a whole lot of that last year yeah well after erickson eck and rossi we're looking at like ryan hartman freddie goudreau sturm so yeah hopefully rossi and erickson eck can really pan out as two solid uh top six centers but yeah it might be a little while for rossi and while we're waiting go grab your joel erickson eck maybe i'll just throw out my other uh, new potential top line center do that we can end with uh, the kraken who i know you wanted to talk about to end the show uh, but first over in chicago how about this i was not expecting this but tyler johnson has spent the entire training camp so far centering patrick kane and alex to on both the top line and the top power play i thought this was a lock that kirby duck would be getting that spot both at even strength and on the power play with kane and to but no it's been tyler johnson recent acquisition from tampa so i don't know that's a pretty sweet looking situation for ty joe right especially if he's on the top power play also with jonathan taves and seth jones like that could be a really strong top power play i don't see why not grab Taijo late in your draft just in case. Like, again, he's been bad the last couple of seasons, but it was only 2018-19 that he put up 48 points, which is nothing to sneeze at. Of course, in that year, he was playing mostly with Kucherov in point, so that's going to help you. But again, Kane and Zabrinkit, not too much of a downgrade from Kucherov in point, right? So if things break right and Tyler Johnson sticks on that line, and obviously there's no guarantee that he will, uh, I think he's definitely someone that at this point, if you've already drafted, go grab him out of free agency. And if you haven't drafted, save him for a last round pick. Yeah, you know, I think that he's shown that he's the kind of player who can really excel when he is put out there with some serious talent. 
Uh, he, you know, has not had so much of that over the last couple seasons and has certainly driven his stock down. But, you know, if they're looking for someone who has a little more experience than Doc to, to play up on that top power play, even if it's temporary, and I imagine it is, I was tweeting about this earlier today. I don't see it as the kind of thing that lasts, but I went out and I grabbed him off the waiver wire in that keeper that we're working on. You know, the big one obviously is Kakupful tier one that's drafting on Sunday. So we'll be able to talk about that a little more once it happens. But for now, definitely it is the, the keeper that, you know, is the place where we we can put our money where our mouth is. Uh, and so I did grab him just because I think, you know, even if it's just the first few games there, uh, you know, he has the potential to maybe pop off and, and uh, even hold on to that spot. Also exciting to see Jonathan Taves uh, get back out there and play after we missed him all of last year. Uh, got some good, good playing time out there against the wings over 22 minutes, but he was not playing with the optimal uh, wingers that you would like to see him with Kubalik and Kurashev. Uh, did get an assist. You know, what do you think about Taves moving forward here? Yeah, I'm just happy to see him get out there. We'll find out about the lines. Like if he's playing with Kubalik, that's not too bad, I don't think. Especially, if, like, I mean, who else is really left, right? If it's Tyler Johnson with Kane and Debrinkit, then yeah, I'd expect Taves to be with Kubalik and then someone, I don't know, Alex Nylander, like Dylan Strome if he goes to the wing, or maybe like Kurashev, I don't know. But either way, right now, like, you know, Taves with the whole season, like you said, with the chronic immune response syndrome, he's back. He's playing big minutes. Uh, he's a guy who had 60 points in 70 games in 2019 20. That's a 70 point pace. So he's definitely going to fall in your fantasy draft below other 70 point guys so it just depends on which you know how much of himself is going to come back this season but he's definitely being put in a decent situation i already mentioned the top power play he's been practicing on there so yeah don't let him fall too far don't forget about jonathan taves really excited to see him back yeah i'll hedge a little bit and say i expect him to be maybe a little closer to 60 after having a year off and and at his age but he's been so remarkably consistent you know, I don't think we can downgrade him too much because we've seen him just kind of put up very similar points numbers season after season. And obviously having access to that great top power play, even when nothing else is working in Chicago, uh, usually that power play is is on fire. Uh, so you love to see it. Anyone who's going to be out there with with Kane for as long as Kane can keep it up. I think that's really good. One more uh, group to talk about here before we finish up a slightly longer than typical short shift. You know, so we don't want to get too winded here. It's early in the season. We may not be in game shape. We don't want to be, you know, on our bag skate and looking like OEL out there. So, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to talk about, you know, maybe it's been done to death. If you've been listening to, to hockey podcasts, lots of people talking about line one for the Kraken, but you know, they are definitely getting some buzz this preseason. We've seen some nice chemistry between Giordano, McCann and Schwartz on Wednesday night that led to a great breakout and a, and a goal for Geo against his old team, which was pretty cool. Uh, you know, getting the, the Geo chant in the building was pretty excellent. I think McCann is really interesting. He was quite productive last year. Uh, he was 39th overall in points per 60 at 5v5 uh, for players with at least 250 minutes. Uh, and this was despite having his second lowest point participation of his career at only 55%. And he was 498th in 5v5 time on ice per game uh, from that group. So only about 11 less than 12 minutes of even strength uh, ice time. So that was looking a little bit grim. He obviously won't have Crosby to help him this season, uh, but he should see a significant increase in 5v5 minutes and likely an increase in points percentage as the play is more likely to move through him this year. Uh, he's only 26% rostered, uh, and he has an ADP of 166 when he is being picked. So this is a low-cost line one power play one guy who could be really interesting. I think his ceiling probably tops off around 65 points, um, but that's a pretty appealing upside at his ADP or off the waiver wire. 
Yeah, I believe it was Dom Lucision on my show with him where he said that maybe Jared McCann is going to be this year's Jonathan Marcheseau. Remember, this is a guy who seemed like he was decent on Florida in 2016-17. He had his own version of a breakout with 51 points, kind of similar to McCann's breakout last year with Pittsburgh. Now, all of a sudden, he goes to a new team where he's going to be top line, you know, best deployment possible, playing with Schwartz and Everly. So, yeah, if he can stick with that deployment, maybe he can have a breakout like Marcheseau did and get above that 60-point, maybe even approach 65, like you said, as his ceiling. So, yeah, Jared McKen, obviously don't let him go undrafted. And maybe he's a guy you potentially reach for because we don't know. The Seattle team is, I don't know, I mean, during training camp, they seem pretty exciting so far. We'll see what they can do. Like, don't go too crazy. And I guess Yanni Gourds can be back at some point and he'll maybe push someone, though. If that top line of McCann, Schwartz, and Eberle is looking good, maybe then Gourd can go play with Donskoy or something. Gourd's not, it's not like Gourd's been a top line player on Tampa, right? So it's not like it's a guaranteed spot for him. Jared McCann's the one who seems like he has the biggest offensive ceiling right now to center that top line. Yeah, the excitement about Gord is that he was on the best third line in hockey, but it was the third line. And I know it's on Tampa, and Tampa is obviously very deep. Um, but I would be, if if McCann has some success up on that top line, and we've seen him have success with top line-esque players, and obviously he's not playing with Crosby out there, as I mentioned. But, you know, I do think that he is someone who, uh, you know, could maybe break out a little bit with some more ice time. You know, I almost, another person that you might make as a comparable would be uh, Verana. And maybe he's not as much of an analytics darling as Verana, but the kind of guy who you know, on a minute per minute basis has been very successful and just hasn't seen so many of those actual minutes. So if he's getting them in Seattle, uh, that could be a very exciting spot for him. All right. And yeah, and don't forget also Jaden Schwartz, Jordan Everly. Make sure not to leave these uh, Kraken too far into your drafts undrafted because, you know, a top line, top power play guy is good on most teams in the NHL. And I think it's going to be pretty decent on Seattle, at least worth uh, taking a look. So, okay, Lewis, what a blast. Short chips. I can't, this is a whirlwind. Are we done? I, we are. We've wrapped up here for today. Uh, this was really fun. I so appreciate you having you on the show. Uh, I'm looking forward, obviously, to having Ben back behind the mic as well. It's going to be cool to get to, to move the team around a little bit and try out some different line combos and see what the people <laughs> enjoy. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we want to give thanks to Kevin A. Bear and Jeremy Facillo and D- John Newhold. Uh, for all of their help over the summer, especially, you know, getting the leagues running and running cacuffle.com and making the Discord so awesome. Uh, our super patrons, Tom, Derek, Rob, and Patty. Uh, our logos were created by brandonweeb.com. Our intro and outro music by Pat Roach. Research with help from Dauber Hockey, Natural Stat Trick, and Elon. We are at the end of our show, so I will remind our viewers, until we see you again, play smart and keep your shifts short.